Good morning. It's good to be here. I should say, uh, just by way of a quick warning, I've actually never preached to people that I don't know before. So it's going to be a, an interesting thing. We'll see how we go. Uh, by way of a very quick sort of bullet pointy introduction, my name is Paul. Uh, you, may, you may remember me as the guy who left his lights on about 27 minutes ago. The car still works. I, I tried it out. We're good. Uh, I work at the Christian Reformed Church of Kingston, so I've been serving on the staff team there for a while now. I clean windows a couple of days a week, uh, and I got saved, like many people, at university around about four weeks ago. Four years. I don't know why I said weeks. Um, sure. Before we actually start in earnest, um, a very brief disclaimer. Uh, I, think, I think it's probably always good for a, someone who's preaching um, to know the congregation. I think not as preferable. I reckon. People, congregations are going to have certain issues, certain things that need speaking to, uh, and it's just good, good that the, the preacher would know that. Um, it's like if you think about it, if Paul had his letter to the Ephesians, put the wrong stamp on it, send it to Corinth. Would it still been a great letter for them to receive? Fantastic. But, you know, those Corinthians, they had some pretty specific things that they wanted to hear about, right? They had some specific questions. In the same way, I don't really know what you guys are like. I don't know what, what issues you have or what struggles you have, what you need to hear. Um, and for that reason today, I'm, just, I'm going to be preaching exactly what I need to be hearing, in all honesty. This sermon isn't a, uh, out of the greatest hits album of Paul Matthews. I, I wrote this for today. Uh, and let me say I was very, very blessed in its preparation. And I, I really hope, I genuinely hope you guys are blessed in its, its hearing as well. Our topic today is money. As you may have picked up now, there are loads of good passages in the Bible about money. Um, I think Luke chapter 12 speaks to this topic really, really well. Now, we're going to be, we're going to be opening up there. Make sure you've got your Bible open. Uh, I'm fairly new to the whole preaching thing, and I could just be lying to you. So make sure you've got your head in the text so you can fact check what I'm saying here. I'm going to give you the bottom line up front. Right? So this is my main take-home message for the whole day. We are to use our wealth to show that God is the most valuable thing that we have. Right? So if, if you're a note taker, if you're taking down notes, get that down. We are to use our wealth to show that God is the most valuable thing that we have. So I'm going to run by that passage. We'll go verse by verse. Uh, I'll give a clarification, a fairly elongated warning, uh, and then we'll get on to some application after that one. Before we do that, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we know you are the most valuable thing that we have. We know that objectively. It is so hard for that theological truth to bleed down into all areas of our life. Lord, please, I pray, I pray for me, I pray for Mount Stewart, that you would uh, convict us today if there's an area um, where we have not set you apart as the most valuable thing, that would change and that would change soon. We pray this in the name of Christ and for his glory and so that we are satisfied in him. Amen. Before we approach chapter uh, chapter 12, I've got two terms that I'm going to dis, uh, define for us. First of all, money. Money, as I will be referring to it today, is very simply put, it's an indicator of value. Again, if you're taking notes, that's one to get down. Money is an indicator of value. The coins themselves, the bits of paper, the zeros on the screen, they don't have 
any objective value, but just as a society, we have decided that these things are valuable. We, we use them to get things, right? If something costs more money, then it's more valuable. And that sort of trickles down into the way that we use money, right? If you invited me over um, with this dinner thing Ruth was talking about and I rock up at your house and I see a brand new Hummer parked outside a tent, I could probably tell for you that your car is more important, more valuable to you than your house. Money is an indicator of value. Second word I'm going to define that I'll be using a lot today, greed. Greed can just be defined as an intense and a selfish desire for something. So greed, greed is that voice that sort of interrupts your, your monologue saying more, always more, get more, have more. Yes, I know, Paul, I know you have now, but don't you realise you could have more? It's a built-in desire that we have to accumulate things for ourselves. That's greed. Now to our text, Luke chapter 12. Uh, as I said, if you close it, open it up again. When we hit the 13th verse here, Jesus has already amassed a crowd, thousands, thousands of people listening to him preach. He's telling people that God is to be their focus. He's telling people that God is in control. He's saying God's bigger than your secrets. Whatever you try and hide, God's going to bring out. Jesus is saying God's bigger than your, he's, he's bigger than your government. So don't fear them, fear him. Jesus is saying, I am bigger than your social connections. If you don't acknowledge me before your social connections, I won't acknowledge you in a real and lasting way. Jesus is drilling home by the time we hit this 13th verse here that this world and the things of this world are not to be lived for. There are far greater realities, far bigger joys than those we can accumulate for ourselves here. He's saying God is worthy of all our life. Now we're going to go verse by verse through this passage here. Verse 13 of chapter 12 of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So what's essentially happening here is a guy has come up to Jesus in front of thousands of people and said, Yeah, sure, sure, I get it, I get it. You're in control of all things, sure. You know, the hairs on my head, the number, sure. But I have got this messy family situation, Jesus. And you, you are the guy. You are going to help me out here. People probably knew that Jesus had a very keen eye for right and wrong. So you can, you can sort of imagine, you can sort of imagine what's going through this guy's head here. He's like, stupid brother, won't give me my money. I know Jesus, Jesus has a pretty keen eye for right and wrong. I'll go him. He will give me my ruling. Verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? As we were just saying, Jesus has been talking about some huge realities here. He's going to, Jesus is talking about how he's going to acknowledge people before angels, how God is intimately in control of every single aspect of our lives. So when this guy pops up and says, yeah, yeah, sure, but give me my brother's money, please, come on. Jesus makes it very, very clear that that's not what he's here to do at all. At this point, the man who approaches Jesus probably feels pretty ripped off. Come on, come on, Jesus, enough with the platitudes that, you know, do something, work for me here, just give me my ruling, I want to, want to move on. Verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So what happens here is Jesus lifts his gaze from addressing the singular man and now addresses the broader crowd of thousands. And he hands down his ruling. And the verdict, it's a cautionary one. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. This man didn't get a ruling on his dinner table dispute. He got a ruling on his heart. Jesus continues, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is saying, man, that that intense, selfish desire you have for money, that is not good. That is cancerous for you. He's saying, I'm talking about such big things here, man, and if all you can come to me for is to get your hands on that money, you want it way too much. You want that money way too much. Jesus Jesus is saying, life isn't about getting your stuff. Life isn't about having your nest egg. Life isn't about having your home. And it definitely isn't about getting your inheritance. That's not life. There's no life to be found in searching and wanting those things. Back in the passage, verse 16 and 17, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Jesus is about to illustrate this point as he often does with a parable. He introduces a guy who's already pretty rich, but it looks like he's about to hit the big time here. His crops are so large that actually, in reality, they've become problematically large. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. This guy looks around, he looks at his crop, he looks at his barns, looks at his crop, looks at his barns, and he just goes, no way. There is no way. He probably pretty big before. Not anymore. He rips down the old barns, he erects new ones. This should house his crop. This should get him there. Interesting to note that even though Jesus is telling this parable as a precaution, this guy's done nothing wrong yet. This guy's on very, very safe, very solid ground. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having lots of cash and there's nothing wrong with having lots of possessions. If you own a successful business and you make a lot of money, that is perfectly fine. You are where this rich man is on a firm footing right now. Verse 19. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. This is the tipping point though. Money is a fine thing to have, but as we said at the start, it's an indicator of value. Wealth gives you a very large platform from which to stand on and show what is important and valuable to you. If having money is having a voice, then being wealthy is being handed a megaphone from which you can shout to everyone what you love. This guy didn't receive his bumper crop by accident, did he? God wasn't up late at night on his third glass of wine doing his farming sums and accidentally carried ten instead of one, gave this guy his fortune. It was intentional, right? We know that. What this guy did, though, was he threw it back in God's face. He used his his own wealth to show what was valuable to him, and that was his comfort. If you didn't know this guy, if you were meeting him for the first time, you could see him from a mile off. And you would say, this guy loves his own comfort. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then he will get what you have prepared for yourself. Compared to God, this man's comfort was an unworthy pursuit. He could have used the riches that God has given him to have a huge impact for the kingdom, yet instead he fixates selfishly on himself, points his world back in to him. And God sits over him in judgment. In case you're wondering what the worst case scenario is, that's it. That's where God sees your foolishness and righteously and immediately puts an end to it. When God brings this guy's life to a close, he doesn't do it with thanksgiving. He doesn't say, good job. He doesn't say, well done. He says, you fool. You fool. You want to store up for yourself a nice, happy, comfy, fluffy life? You want to ensure that you'll be comfortable for the rest of your life? You can't even ensure that you stay alive. In fact, that's it. Your life is over. That's done. Verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Jesus puts the bottom line under the parable here. He gives us the final part of this warning. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Well, I don't know about you, man, Stuart, but for me, that raised a very, very important question when I was doing my preparation. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to be rich towards God? This is the only time in the Bible we see this particular phrase. What, what we want to do it, what does it mean? This is the first clarification I was talking about. We are, we are presented with a very, very clear image of what being rich towards God is not. Being rich towards God isn't spending your money in such a way that shows that you love your own comfort. Being rich towards God is not taking the megaphone of riches and saying, I love comfort. I can't get enough of coasting through life. That's not being rich towards God. Well, if that isn't, then what is? Put simply, as I said at the start, being rich towards God is using our wealth to show that God is the most valuable thing that we have. If you're being rich towards God, it will be clear from the way that you use your wealth, your money, your possessions, that God is the most valuable thing that you have. It will be clear that you find God and his work on this earth Deeply, deeply valuable. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Maybe you look, you look to scripture and you see the countless cases of Christ saying, sell it all. Clear the house. Give the money to the poor. That happens a lot, right? That happens a lot. And you're think, you're sitting there and you're thinking, there's no way I can do that. That's not even feasible. Like that's not even, it was a different economy back then, right? Like it was a different society. It's not possible. We can't do that anymore. That brings me to my warning. Selling all you have is optional. Being rich towards God is not optional. Let me start with the first portion of that. Selling all you have is optional. As I said earlier, as with this guy and his crops, as with a load of Christians, you see the Bible, there are rich Christians. You don't have to choose between being a poor believer or being rich and unsaved. That's, that's, not, that's a false dichotomy. Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew 27. Cornelius, 
Acts 10, Lydia, Acts 16, there are many more. Just like there's nothing wrong with a bumper crop, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Christ does not demand everyone who follows him to sell all. I think potentially this, this idea maybe that sell all and give is the biblical norm, maybe that paralyzes us a little bit. Maybe we think that there's no way we could do that. We know we're meant to be rich towards God, but we really, really, really don't want to sell everything, so we do nothing. It's a cycle, right? You've got the, you've got the conviction, you've got the moral struggle, the defeat. Conviction, moral struggle, defeat, and you just rinse and repeat over and over and over. Now, you don't have to sell all that you have. But you do have to ask yourself this question. Who is it that God looks down upon in judgment? Who is it that God calls a fool in this passage? I'm reading here straight from the word, verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Not this is how it might be with some people. Not this is how it could perhaps be with you if you walk that line. This is how it will be. See, being rich towards yourself in this life will get you two things. It will get you an inferior attempt at worldly satisfaction and it will get you the judgment of God. Jesus doesn't give this parable and say, with the bottom line, say, this is how it will be with anyone who doesn't confess Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Calling yourself a Christian does not get you off the hook on this one. So being rich towards God isn't one of those optional extras of Christianity. And there are optional extras. It's not like being an elder. It's not like running a Bible study. It's not like going on a short-term mission. It's not like playing the piano. There is no opt-out of this one. There is no opt-out. You can't not do this. Maybe you feel, maybe you feel a little uncomfortable now. Maybe as you tick through the back catalogue of the last hundred purchases you made, you realise that the lowest common denominator is that they had nothing to do with God or with God's work on this earth. Maybe you're a little uncomfortable. Maybe you spend it all on your family. Maybe you spend it all on your car. Maybe you spend it all on your career. As I said, I don't know. I don't know you. This is what I do know, though. If you are in the wrong here, having a slight discomfort that may or may not dissipate the second we leave this room is not going to cut it here. I mean, we are talking about something so much greater than something we should probably do. This is something that is so much more important than something we should probably get around to. We're talking about the judgment of God. How important is this? This is eternally important. This doesn't stop being important. If you're rich towards yourself or you're rich towards your family or you're rich towards your career and you're not rich towards God, you are in a precarious, precarious position. You need to be freaking out right now if that's the case. We go back in Luke, a couple of chapters, and we can borrow some really, really helpful imagery there. You guys will be familiar, I'm sure, with, um, with the, uh, the, the wise and the foolish builder, right? I won't read the whole passage now, but what we see there is 
uh, is a guy. He built what was probably a pretty good house on a bad foundation. See, this house, if you were to look at it from the street, you'd say, that is a good house. That's not a bad little house you got there, mate. But what we don't understand is this house was exactly one storm away from being decimated, wasn't it? Please understand, guys, if your foundation is anything other than God, then you are one storm away from rubble. The the house, that's a metaphor for you. How serious is this? This is so this is so serious. This is so serious if it would be a kind and a loving thing for God to take and grab a fistful of whatever you have put under yourself that isn't him and to yank it out. That's how serious this is. If you're living a life with anything other than Jesus Christ at the top rung of the ladder, it would be a good and a loving thing for Christ to boot that ladder down and to make you start again with him at the top. Guys, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for me over the last two weeks as I've been preparing this message that God would do whatever it takes to make us reckon with the fact that he is the most valuable thing that we have. Bankruptcy, fine. Redundancy, okay. Illness, bring it on. If it makes us reckon and deal with the fact that Christ is ultimately valuable. Potentially you're smelling a little bit of legalism bleed out here. Thinking, who is this guy? Come to our church, tell me I've got to do something to be right with God, that doesn't quite that doesn't quite fit with anything I've ever heard about the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying salvation by grace through faith through faith and then just a little bit. We'd be rich towards God and that gets us there. I'm not saying ninety nine percent God guys and they're one percent, and that one percent being rich towards God. I'm not saying that at all, but look at the text. Look at how strongly Jesus talks about those who have stored up for themselves, but not him. This is how it will be. You know, remember when God called that guy's life to a close in judgment? This is how it will be. For who? For anyone. They are Jesus' words, and as best I can tell, I actually I haven't added anything to them. It's quoting the verse. For Jesus, being rich towards God, appears to be deeply, inextricably linked with being saved doesn't look like Jesus imagines one without the other. We're not adding something to our faith here by being rich to God, towards God. It is a necessary overflow of what Jesus has already done for us. Well, what does this mean for us? Where do we actually go from here is the question. Well, I've got, I've got two points of application. First one, brief. Second one, as brief, and then we'll see where we go from there. Firstly, first application point of today, pray. Right? And, and please don't be fooled into thinking that prayer is not an application point. A couple of chapters back in Luke again, Jesus is telling, saying, hey guys, guys, disciples, so the, the, the harvest is plentiful, right? There's, there's a massive harvest, but the workers are few. Do you remember what he says there? Therefore, go and harvest. Therefore... Find new harvesters, get a combined spiritual heart. I don't even know what that would be. He says, therefore, pray. 
That's what he says. Prayer is an application and Jesus sets the tone for our application today. Pray. We need to do this. If we're going to show, if we're going to show that God is the most valuable thing we have with the way that we use our wealth, we need his help. We need it. Two reasons. One, our heart, we know, our hearts are deceptive. I'm not, that's not, that's not a news flash to anyone here, right? Our hearts are deceptive. We need God's help. We have, we have the Spirit and the Spirit of God will expose to you things in your heart that you didn't even know were there. And you will, it will illuminate sin you didn't even know existed. It would be a great win for Satan today if you heard the message and then you left and you felt happy. You said, I don't have any problems when in fact you did. I'm not saying everyone has a problem with this, but man, it's insidious. We need God to show us where it lies if it is in there. Number two, second reason we need to pray is because without a heart change, we just cannot be rich towards God. We can't do it. If you want to show that God is the most valuable thing you have, that is not something you pull yourself up by the bootstraps to do. You could, you could even just go and sell everything. You could do that. You could put it all on Gumtree, flog it off, take your money, give it to the poor, and if you did it, if you did it for Christian brownie points or if you did it for your conscience, those things get you nothing. Pray that you have a new relationship with money, not because you have to begrudgingly whip yourself into line on this one, but because you capture a vision of God that is so amazing that everything else looks, it looks terrible in comparison. That's the only way this works, right? Only God can change your heart that way. So for both these reasons, pray. Pray, pray today, whether you pray, for, whether you pray for five minutes, whether you pray for an hour. If you pray on your own or if you pray with other people, just pray. Please pray today. That's the first point of application. The second one is, is vague as well. But it is simply do as you feel led. Christians, God has given us his spirit. His spirit lives in us. The spirit will convict you. If you pray earnestly, you will be convicted. That's not, that's not a gamble that you take. That will happen. So what, what do we do? I want you to pray as I have been for the last two weeks. Pray earnestly and do as you feel led to do. That will look different for different people. Put everything, everything you have on the table and approach God. Ask God to guide you. God's a loving father. God is a loving father. So when you approach him and ask how you might use your wealth to show that he is the most valuable thing that you have, he will not leave you in the dark. I can guarantee that. I don't actually know how long I've been preaching. Does anyone have any? We've got five more minutes in us here. Yes? Okay. I wasn't sure if I would include this next bit here. This, this, that's basically the end of what I have to say to Christians, uh, at least if you're on the mature end of things here. I've got five minutes now where I, I'm going to talk to either a non-Christian, if you're here, Christ is not your Lord, or if you're a young Christian, if you are new to the faith, whether you're chronologically old or not, or young, new Christians or non-Christians. 
you might you potentially you would have sat through that and think and thought that sounds like it sucks christianity christianity sucks like do do this don't do that don't spend this don't hold that do what you know that just sounds tough that does not sound like fun at all let me read you a very very simple passage from the book of matthew here jesus is telling another parable which is a simple story to illustrate a point I'm reading from Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So this guy is out, he's inspecting a bit of land, and he probably, I don't don't know how, like in the movies maybe, he kicks it. He's like, what the heck, that's not a weed. And so he looks down, he peels back the ground, and he sees this treasure. And you can just, you can imagine, he said, no way. No way, this, this land, I was going to buy this treasure in this land. And in that moment, in that moment, everything else, every single other thing instantly got reevaluated. We don't have to guess what the treasure is an illusion for because at the start of the verse, Jesus told us, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is the kingdom that Jesus brought us, the kingdom of which every Christian is a member. That is worth our everything. If you've sat here and you've thought, there's no way, there is no way I could use my money to show that God is valuable, that just sounds like a terrible, terrible idea. Well, can I tell you that it will be the furthest thing from terrible? We read about Christians in the Bible selling their things. We read about them bringing people into their home. We read about them sharing their possessions. And it wasn't because of a begrudging act of disobedience. They loved it. They loved it. So it's so easy to miss. But when we read that verse, listen to the man's emotion. He wasn't thinking, he wasn't looking at the treasure and going like, I should, I should probably buy this field. it, It makes logical sense that I would buy this field. No, Jesus said it was in his joy, in his joy, that he went and sold everything he had. See, here's the thing. If if you're a non-Christian or a new Christian today, I can absolutely, categorically guarantee to you that God will do for you what that treasure did for that man. I can guarantee it. He will make you reevaluate every single thing that you thought you knew about what was valuable and what was not valuable. He will be your prized possession. God will be your prized possession. Uh, I'm, I'm open for questions after the, after the service. But if you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, Christ is not your Lord, and you want to start serving him with every single part of your being, including your wallet, come and talk to me. Please, please come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the elders here. Talk to one of the people who looks like they know what they're doing. There is no more important thing for you to do. I'm going to pray for us now in closing. Father God, we know you are immensely valuable. You have existed from eternity past to eternity future. You are the creator, the sustainer, the ordainer of all things. You are actively holding every single thing together right now. We ask that these theological truths that we know would drip down into every facet of our life. We've talked today about money, Lord, and we pray for obedience. We pray for other things, other things that aren't money, other trappings, other things that distract us from you, Lord. Please, 
draw us closer to yourself. Purify us by any means possible. We know that it is worth it. We pray all of this because of the glory of your Son and what he's done for us. Amen.